Coming Up is a podcast brought to you by the dedicated and diverse volunteers at 3CR. Just a quick message before you get there. For the month of June, we're asking listeners to donate to the station to help us keep going. In 2023, we're asking our community to stay tuned, stay radical. We rely on the generous donations of community to survive. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate and show your support for community-owned and community-run media. Thanks for your support and happy listening. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio and I'm James Whitmore. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where this show is being broadcast from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay my respects to Elders past and present. It's Radiothon time here at 3CR, which means we need your help to keep making radical radio. Here at Out of the Blue, we love our coasts and oceans, and we love bringing you stories about all the wonderful, wonderful people who are working to protect them. We need to raise $1,200 by the end of June, so please, if you can, make a donation to support Out of the Blue and 3CR Community Radio. Go to givenow.com.au forward slash CR forward slash out of the blue to donate. That's givenow.com.au forward slash CR forward slash out of the blue. You can also call 03 9419 8377 to, do- to donate over the phone. We'll be right back after this announcement. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon. Stay tuned, stay radical. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station 03 9419 8377 or donate online 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned, stay radical. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. Seeing dolphins in the wild is a magic experience. Maybe you've been out at the, out at the beach or out on Port Phillip Bay and seen dolphins playing in the water. Well, if you have, you might have seen Melbourne's own unique species of dolphin, the Burrinan dolphin, which was only recognised just over 10 years ago and is found only in Port Phillip Bay, the Gippsland Lakes and around Tasmania. To hear more about this amazing story of scientific discovery, I spoke to Dr. Kate Robb from the Marine Mammal Foundation. So, Kate, I'm not sure that many people know, um, and I certainly didn't for quite a while, that Victoria has its own unique species of dolphin found pretty much nowhere else in the world. Can you tell us a bit about how these dolphins were discovered and how their uniqueness was recognised? Yeah, it's pretty amazing to be able to discover um, and describe any kind of species, but let alone one that's, you know, so big and living under the noses of a major metropolitan city like Melbourne. So um, it it basically started with the, the dolphins in the bay are a bit of a mishmash between the other two recognised bottlenose dolphin species. So the common bottlenose, Terceps truncatus, and the Indo-Pacific, the, um, the Terceps aduncus. And so they're a bit of a mishmash between those and they'd been called both. Uh, so my research basically just started to try and figure out which of those two they were. Um, and it was really when we got the the DNA, the sequences back uh, from um, some of the dolphins in the bay that we realised that they're actually falling out with neither of those two species Um and so we went on uh, a whole other journey of looking at uh, more regions uh, across the DNA, but then also their skull morphology uh, and their external morphology 
do things like diet, distribution. And at all of those turns, we found that they were separate and distinct from the other two um, previously recognised species. So um, as a part of my PhD studies, I put all of those pieces together and, uh, yeah, in 2011 was able to put a, a full taxonomic paper out describing them as a new and separate species. That must be kind of a pretty amazing feeling to describe um, not just a new species but a new dolphin. Yeah, it was pretty amazing and, and very unexpected, uh, you know, which is what science always brings. You ask the question and, and you never know what the answer is going to be. Um, but it was really, for me, just the tip of the iceberg because uh, not only was it a small isolated population in Port Phillip, we also identified another population of the same species in Gippsland Lake. So my focus of the of the research really then went about, okay, we have this, this new species. Um, what are the population numbers like? What's the conservation status? Um, and really working towards that applied research that is able to protect and conserve them um, now that we've discovered them. You mentioned they're a type of bottlenose dolphin. And uh, I, when I think of dolphins, I imagine them traveling all over the, the oceans. How common is this kind of, you know, really unique, uh, confined to quite a small area among dolphins? Yeah, th and there's a lot of um, sort of populations within each of these species that form these isolated and separate units. Um, so, you know, across the globe, but to have a, a brand new dolphin species. And a lot of that has come from the use of DNA and newer technologies that previously weren't available um, within these research realms. So it, it is quite a rare thing to be able to find. Well, it's an incredibly rare thing. It's only been done four times since the late 1800s. So um, you can have distinct population structure and they're sort of separate management units, so to speak, and, and can have their own conservation unit within a species. However, the, the Baranand dolphin is, um, you know, a new species and a very small isolated population. So can you tell us a bit about these dolphins? Do they behave like other bottlenose dolphins? What distinguishes them? I mean, you know, places like the Gippsland Lakes must be quite a unique habitat for dolphins. Yeah, it's a very interesting species in itself. So, you know, not only discovery was, was um, you know, quite an amazing thing, but also then having a look at the two populations, because even within that species, they behave very differently. And as you mentioned, they're found in very different areas. So Gippsland Lakes is very estuarine condition, has major freshwater inputs, a very small opening to the ocean. So not typically uh, an environment that you would find a, a, a true oceanic species living in. Uh, whereas Port Phillip Bay is an open embayment area, um, salinity level is quite consistent, temperature is quite consistent. So even within that species, they're choosing to be in these two very different environments. Um, and as a consequence of that, they, they do also feed on different uh, fish species and they also behave very differently in terms of their social structure. And so you've also mentioned that the, the other two types of bottlenose dolphins, we also see them. If we're out on the water and we see a, a, a grey dolphin, is there any way of telling, you know, if we're looking at a baronin dolphin? Yeah, so there are really distinguishable features once you get your eye in. Um, you know, a lot of people wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a very much more distinct and, and morphologically different, like the common dolphins. Um, but the Baranan dolphins are about two and a half metres in length. Uh, they have a really stubby little rostrum or nose. 
Um, they have a curved or falcate dorsal fin and, and quite large flukes in comparison to the size of their body. But one of the key features we have a look at is that the, the external morphology, so the coloration. They have uh, this gradation of grey from dark grey on the, on the top of the body to a mid-grey down the flank and then white um, on the bellies. And then that white can extend over the eye um, and that's quite a distinct feature um, that, that we always have a look at if we have photos submitted from different areas that we're, we're not sure of where the Baranan are. Uh, so, so once you get your eye in, you can really tell the difference. We do have common bottlenose uh, in Victorian waters. So they are in Bass Strait area and they're typically much larger animals. You know, they're over three metres. They're very dark um, robust um, dolphins. So you can you can definitely, you know, distinguish between those two when you come across them. The, the, the common bottlenose are just these tanks, um, you know, for those oceanic conditions. And so there are some concerns about the future of barren and dolphins. Can you tell us a bit about the threats that they're facing? So being obviously in Australia's largest shipping port and then also in an estuarine system that has a lot of, uh, you know, different inputs, there are a number of anthropogenic threats associated. So the threats of those are um, noise and um, anthropogenic pollution, so toxicants that we're putting into the system, uh, the noise from, from shipping and recreational vessels, um, recreational vessels and other vessels uh, having negative interactions with the dolphins, uh, we're seeing, you know, an impact in marine ecosystems of um, plastics and microplastics. Um, so there's there's a number of different threats that are impacting these particular dolphins and also their, their demographic history. I mean, these are very small, both of them are very small, isolated populations. Um, and so we have things like inbreeding effects that we're having a look at that makes these animals less genetically diverse to be able to cope with these sorts of stresses. And uh, other, I mean, talking, thinking about the regulations that affect some of these threats that are affecting the dolphins, are the regulations strong enough to protect the dolphins in your view or, or do we need to do more to ensure that they're around forever? Yeah, so the research that we do at the Marine Mammal Foundation is very much targeted towards this applied research and having a look at those sort of impacts and how they can impact on the population. Uh, so there are regulations in place for tourist operators, but also vessels on the water, so powered and unpowered vessels. Uh, so powered and unpowered vessels such as kayaks or stand-up paddle boards, small wreck vessels, must remain 100 metres away from the dolphins um, and jet skis 300 metres away. So we, we've done a, quite a comprehensive study and found that breaches to those regulations actually causes changes to their core biological activity. So changes to feeding, changes to milling and resting state, um, increased flanking of the males for females, which can, you know, form aggressive um, sort of relations. So we do see the impact of those and the regulations are in place. We're also having a look at uh, geospatial distribution. So where are we finding uh, these dolphins and where are their hotspot zones? Um, and perhaps where can we have a look at um, getting marine protected areas in place within those to be able to protect those the dolphins using those areas for those core biological activities? Kate, how can people get involved if they want to get involved with protecting barren and dolphins? 
So one of the main things that um, people can do is, you know, the researchers can't be out on the water all of the time, although we would absolutely love to be. But there are a lot of uh, water users, both in Port Phillip Bay and Gippsland Lake. So when you do come across a pot of dolphins, even if you don't know what species it is, you can jump on our web page um, and report those sightings or you can join um, the uh, dolphin and whale spotting um, Facebook group, which allows us to be able to log those sightings um, and put those those dots on the map when we can't be present. But that also allows the ability to report other marine mammals like the whales. We're getting our humpback whales come through the area now. We've had some really great sightings reported, southern right whales. Um, and so even this summer, we've had leopard seals and elephant seals. So a lot of those reports come from these citizen scientists that are out on the water. And that's you know a really great way to get involved and really contribute to our research. Um, and we also have a number of different dedicated volunteer programs. So if um, people are interested in volunteering with our, our research um, or our outreach and education, they can also jump on the webpage and, and um, sign up to be assisting us. That was Dr. Kate Robb from the Marine Mammal Foundation. After the break, we're going to hear more about the research to protect this unique dolphin. But in the meantime, here's Jira with Healing. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR. Take your time. 
Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Fierce, independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep radical voices and issues on the airwaves. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, during business hours. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. That was Jira with Healing, and you're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. As we've heard from Dr. Kate Robb, Baronin dolphins are a unique species found only in the seas and waterways around Victoria and Tasmania. But living close to humans mean these dolphins face a number of threats. Here's Grace Day, a PhD candidate at Deakin University working with the Marine Mammal Foundation, whose research is looking at why Baronin dolphins seem to be dying due to disease. So Grace, can you tell us about the research that you're doing? Yep. So my job at Marine Mammal Foundation is to look at the genetic diversity of barren and dolphins. Uh, so I focus on their immune genes. The reason why I'm looking at their immune genes is because they are the Gippsland Lakes population of barren and dolphins suffer from a skin disease. So when we have lots of freshwater input into the lake system, they have this like degradation of skin barrier, which causes um, like ulcerative lesions, and it's have it's had a really detrimental effect on their population. So yeah, I focus on their immune genes to see why they may not be coping well with sort of like environmental changes and disease. We know that like if populations are small and they are um, inbreeding or having less diversity come into their population through other um, individuals, it can cause them to be less able to adapt to environmental stresses. So, yeah, I look at their different facets of the immune system. So the innate immune genes, which is like the first and second line of defence of the immune system, Uh, the third line of defence, which is more like an adaptive immune response, so you get um, antibodies and immune memory in that kind of area of the immune system. And then lastly, the microbiome. So that is um, cu- kind of a part of the first line of defense as well. So their uh, skin microbiome, which can um, relate with the immune system by like signaling molecules and like stimulating an immune response. So it sounds pretty awful, the, the, the skin disease that these dolphins get. Uh, what does that, and you said it is harmful to their population, is it actually killing them? Yeah, so there's been two mass mortality events so far that we know of in this population. So the first was in 2006-07 uh, where I, th- I think we had about three or four confirmed mortalities, which doesn't seem like much, but they're a small population, so it's quite a lot. And then in 
the most recent mortality event, which started in 2020 and is ongoing, we've had 12 confirmed strandings and then 50% of the population is missing or considered dead. Uh, so, yeah, this is there's probably a lot more mortalities than we uh, have confirmed, but the ones that are missing or confirmed dead we normally see like every single year and we haven't seen them for two years. Um, yeah, and we know that the water quality is just really poor in the Gippsland Lakes just from all the freshwater runoff and that's kind of what causes the disease. So have you got any results that you can share with us about, you know, this genetic research and about their immune systems? Are you finding that they do have compromised immune systems because of their small population? I am not that far in just yet. Um, I've started to get my data back and I'm at the moment I'm looking at their adaptive immune genes, so the, that third line of defence, um, and it's kind of taken a long time to get kind of get my head around the results because they're these genes are really complicated they duplicate in the genome so you have lots and lots of copies of one gene so I've used um next generation genetic sequencing which gives you heaps and heaps and heaps of uh DNA sequences um so it's just like a lot of data to work through um but yeah these genes are like very informative for looking at how uh, individuals and populations may respond to pathogens. So if they can recognize new pathogens coming into their into the host. Um, yeah, so I haven't really got any solid results yet, but I've got the data. So I'm just um yeah, working through that at the moment. And I mean you just described um, you know, that you know that, you know, individual dolphins have gone missing. So you must, you know, form, you know, quite intimate knowledge of in actual individual dolphins how do you study these dolphins in the field and gather all the information you need to do this work yeah so we uh we can identify them through their fins so uh every survey we go out and observe the dolphins uh we take photos of them and catalog their fins so each dolphin has um sort of characteristic nicks and notches on their dorsal fin which come about through like fighting and mating or social behaviour. Um, yeah, so they have like different shapes of their dorsal fin and I actually didn't know this before I studied dolphins and I was kind of thinking like, oh, like how would you, surely that's a hard thing to tell apart but when you see them in the field like you can really tell them apart like they have these quite distinct like shapes of their dorsal fins and yeah, we, we photo ID them and catalogue it and sort of trace the population throughout time and yeah there's some that we've had since since sort of the start of the research in the early 2000s so they're yeah we definitely um know who's who and who's hanging out with who and that kind of thing yeah do you get a sense of like do they have different personalities so they're different you know do you recognize different individuals by the behavior um this is actually a question I get asked a lot when I tell people that I study dolphins I find it like a hard question to answer I'm not sure maybe like Kate or someone who's more experienced would like um be able to tell that uh but I think I think it's important not to totally anthropomorphize them like I recognize that they're like a wild animal but in saying that we do know that they have like very very strong social 
structures and we know that like certain boys like to hang out together which is called a often called a dyad so two boys will spend their like entire life together um and then we have like nursery groups and stuff which have mums and older females and they're young and stuff so yeah you kind of get a sense of like the social structure and like uh who likes to hang out with who and who don't really mix and that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I I wouldn't say personality. Maybe maybe some people can, but not, not for me, yeah. I think that's a really interesting answer because, you know, I mean, there is this tempting, temptation to really uh, to, to anthropomorphise animals like dolphins and, and other, you know, species like gorillas, I suppose, and chimpanzees. So that's a, I really like that answer. Um when we're out and about on our waterways like the Gippsland Lakes and Port Phillip Bay and, and we see d- these dolphins, is there anything we should be aware of or looking out for? Yeah, definitely. So um, it's really important that people adhere to the boating and vessel regulations. So if you're in a power vessel, I think it's 100 metres away that you're meant to be from the dolphins and definitely don't directly approach them. So if you see them um doing their thing and you get excited don't go zooming over because it can kind of interrupt their um normal behavior and I think it's 300 meters away for jet skis so yeah definitely they obviously they like to interact with humans uh sometimes but we just have to be aware that they they have normal behaviors that they need to sort of do to keep keep doing their thing like foraging and mating and playing and that kind of thing and if we're in their face all the time it can interrupt that behavior finally i just have one last question i would love to know how did you get into researching dolphins was it something you always wanted to do or something that kind of came along Uh, it's funny actually i was meant to start my honors working on tasmanian devils so my group at uni mainly worked on at Deakin Uni they mainly work on Tasmanian devils and blue mussels and then um, Dr Kate who's the MMF um, founder she approached my supervisor asking for someone to work on dolphins and yeah it just kind of fell in my lap I guess which is funny because I think if I had have asked my younger self what I would have liked to work on it definitely would have been something in the marine area um but I was just enjoying doing science and research and stuff so I didn't mind too much but yeah I'm forever grateful for the opportunity I've had so much uh been able to do so much cool stuff especially the field work and um the group at Marine Mammal Foundation are amazing so I'm very 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 grateful for it all that was Grace Day at Deakin University and thanks to Dr Kate Robb from the Marine Mammal Foundation If you've enjoyed today's show and want to hear more stories from the incredible people who are looking after our seas, make a donation at givenow.com.au forward slash CR forward slash out of the blue. Any amount helps and we're really grateful for your support. To listen to this show again or any of our previous episodes, head to 3cr.org.au forward slash radio blue. We'll be with you again next week and in the meantime, stay well.